Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical, non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Inventor of Defender Shield, Daniel Dubon is back to clear up misunderstandings and answer questions about EMF protection products. Daniel has over 30 years of engineering experience in the telecom industry, where he held a variety of leadership and executive positions at major companies including AT&T and Bell Labs. Years ago, as Daniel's wife observed her sons laying their laptops on their laps for long periods of time, she became curious about how radiation from laptops might harm their son's reproductive area. This prompted Daniel to begin learning about the health risks from our everyday digital devices. As you can hear in my first Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast with Daniel, which is episode 17, even though part of Daniel's job was to master how technologies communicate and may interfere with each other, Daniel, along with most of us, had never wondered about how frequencies from technologies may impact humans until his wife raised her concerns. As Daniel learned more, he saw a problem and an opportunity to apply his telecom engineering perspective towards solutions. Eventually, Daniel invented Defender Shield, a company that sells EMF protection products like cell phone cases that protect your body from cell phone radiation, hats that protect your brain, fabric that protect pregnant bellies, and air tube earphones that are the safest types of earphones currently available because they significantly reduce the radiation to your brain. In this podcast, Daniel talks about the newest Defender Shield products, which also protect against 5G. For example, the company reports that a Defender Shield baseball cap can block up to 99% of wireless EMF and 5G radiation from reaching your head. Internationally recognized, Daniel is the author of Radiation Nation, The Fallout of Modern Technology, and a frequent guest on national radio and television programs discussing the impacts of EMF radiation and protection options. There is so much conflicting and false information about EMFs and EMF protection that I really cherished my conversation with Daniel because I have had many questions about EMF protection products, like which products work effectively and how to use them safely, because sometimes EMF protection products can make things worse. In this episode, which was recorded on Instagram Live, you'll learn Daniel's perspective on our current EMF environment now that 5G has rolled out, and Daniel answers questions from me and my Instagram viewers. To easily learn more practical ways to live a less toxic lifestyle, subscribe to my free email newsletter by texting DETOX, spelled D-E-T-O-X, to the number 66866. Once again, sign up for my free email newsletter by texting D-E-T-O-X to the number 66866. Now, on with the show. For those who didn't get a chance to listen to our first podcast, can we just start with maybe an overview of the electromagnetic fields from our technologies? And really, in terms of health effects, 
what's the difference between 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G? Like, is 5G more dangerous than 3G or 4G? So let's answer that question. What is electromagnetic radiation? When we last spoke, we talked about the sources of emissions in our environment that are used by technologies that are very close to our bodies today. And 2G was up to 4G is the stuff we've been experiencing over the last 10 eight years, roughly. And it's all been around the same frequency rates. And what does that mean? What is the frequency? When you use a cell phone and you're talking on that phone, you're actually sending and transmitting a signal to a cell tower about four to five miles away. It can be that far. And there's power coming out of that cell phone to get there. And so you have the transmission that's coming from these this device, your laptops, your iPads, all the technology we have all around us are communicating in some way. When they communicate, think of the tip of my finger as the source of the transmission. It opens up more and more and more and more and keeps on going out of the room and into the other room and then into the cell tower, or it goes into the other room where their Wi-Fi is. It's transmitting in a omnidirectional way and that's what is the potential dangerous uh, the danger is to the human because it's going towards your body as well. It's not just going to your Wi-Fi. It's not just going to your cell tower. It is literally going into your body. And I may have mentioned this the last time, but when you use a cell phone you're, to your head, the standards that were developed over 30 years ago on, at that time, 2G, there was... A power level, the strength of the signal is 1.6 watts per kilogram. And that 1.6 can go up four to five miles. So like a fairly strong signal, but not that strong. When a six-foot male uses that signal, it goes into the head by one or two inches, and it heats the area up by no more than two degrees. And that standard was developed at that power level with those kinds of implications to the body. Well, if you're a woman that has a thinner skull than a male, if you're a child that has a much more thinner skull than a male, it actually can go through, for example, a six-year-old child's head using a standard cell phone. It goes right through their head. So the standard that was created 30 years ago represents roughly 3% of the population. That's what it roughly falls down to. So these devices we're having around were never really thought about back then as being used as much as we do use it and that stuff being so close to us. So that's a quick summary of like, what is the environment? What is the toxin we're talking about? And we know the implications are, there are many. We know there's, it can be very serious. And there are some scientific research studies that show direct links of a cell phone to a cancer in the frontal lobe, for example. But more often than not, there's maybe a neurological implication, a physiological implication. You may have tingling in your hand when you're working on a monitor. You have ringing in your ears, potentially. Maybe you're depressed or you're anxious. Maybe your memory is like foggy a little bit. So these are all the kinds of symptoms that are associated with the RF signal, the signal coming out of our devices, that are touching our body. Yeah, and I know for me, sleep is often undermined if oh, I've goodness. had a lot of exposure. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. When I just explained the physical uh, world that is the it's invisible. You can't you can't see this electromagnetic radiation, right? But it turns out that when you have a monitor in front of you, literally the monitor you're looking at, there is LEDs that drive colors towards your eye and the blue component is considered a mic electromagnetic radiation visible light. So it is electromagnetic radiation. And at night, and this is a long way of going to the story, when you're at night looking at your monitor, that monitor is generating a blue component and it's hitting the back of your eye. And there's a little protein in the back of your eye, a cryptochrome protein, which is the switch that turns uh, the sleep process is generated. And uh, the melatonin that you need to sleep is not turned on unless that switch is on. And when you're looking at a monitor and you're going to bed at night, that monitor is influencing the cryptochrome. And you're not going to fall asleep because you don't have the flow of the right cyclic motion of the body. So you really don't want to be looking at monitors at night because it is affecting the sleep pattern right from the very beginning. And of course, do you have the implication of the RF within the environment of the room that also influences sleep, as you just pointed out? In fact, uh, Sophia, you really want to make sure that in this kind of exposures, you don't have any when you're sleeping because sleeping patterns are so important for the body to recover at night and you're disrupting it when you have a cell phone on the night stand. You want to really, if you can, stay away from that kind of stuff. Yeah, one way I've thought of when people ask me about 5G because it seems like some people feel like it's maybe much more dangerous. I say, which, and please correct me if I'm wrong or add any details to it, but when I think about visually the 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 invisible light, like you can imagine on a spectrum, the different colors. Well, the electro, that's a small part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And so 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, they're just different slices, right, from that spectrum. And so how it affects our biology is just different. Oh, no, no question about so it's it. It's kind of more chaos for our body. Yeah. So let's expound on that. When the wiring in your house is... Um, 60 cycle alternating current. When you have a light plugged into that wall and there's current running into that, that 60 high uh, cycle is actually creating electromagnetic emissions in the room, known as extremely low frequency emissions. That's really, really 60 cycles per second, 60 cycles of electromagnetic radiation. That means that over one second, 60 waves go by in one second, that point, that's what it means. And when you talk about cell phones, roughly around one gigahertz, you have one billion cycles going by in one second. When you talk about 5G, you talk about 330 billion cycles per second going by, 60 billion cycles going by. So it is much faster at the on the frequency as you described. And we know a lot about the science of everything about 10 gigahertz and below, 10 billion cycles per second. But above that, we know nothing. Science has not had a time to sort of understand the implications. But as you may remember, RF affects the gut, RF affects the immune system, RF expects and 
uh, affects lots of parts of the body and your immune itself is suppressed when you have an RF signal in the presence of, you're of an RF signal. What happens when you go above? We don't really know, but there are some data points. I've seen some research that talks about 23 gigahertz and it does influence biome of the gut. Bacteria and virus actually like RF signals and the faster you go, the more it likes. In other words, there's a potential for this and a more of a greater imbalance in the biome of the human stomach. And so there is some concern about the implications to the immune systems as you increase these speeds. And we know it, like, for example, at like 90 gigahertz crowd control, they use certain technologies to disperse uh, groups. And what they do is that 90 gigahertz hits the human body and you have a coil, your sweat glands are like a coil and they attract that signal and it heats up the body. So it has an adverse effect at 90 gigahertz. We know that. So those are a few sets of data we know that are concerning. We know up to 4G, there's a lot of data that says it impacts the human body. And now we're entering into a space where there are technologies that haven't been in our environment and we really don't know much about it. And the only way we're going to learn is actually being exposed and see what happens in time. There's just not enough reason, no real research has occurred. So I'll just pause and explain to the viewers and listeners that just remind everyone that health and wellness is a result of many factors. It's multifactorial and it's complicated, but there's this idea that, you know, we talked about the additional wavelengths over time that are being used in our technologies, just being more layers of stress on our body, anywhere from 2G to 5G. But there's also science discovering that one toxic exposure can make another toxic exposure even more harmful. So for example, maybe the cell phone radiation will weaken the blood brain barrier, which generally protects your brain from toxic compounds in your body. And if your blood brain barrier is thinner, then more your brain is more likely to be exposed to toxic compounds in the blood. That's just one example of how one can make another more harmful. So the idea that you should reduce what you can is really an important message. Sophia, I absolutely agree. I wasn't sure how much detail you wanted, but... I know, because we've had an hour-long conversation before. It turns out the blood-brain barrier is suppressed when you have a cell phone to your head. And what happens is that signal is now passing through represents concussion-like symptoms to the person that's using that cell phone. And so those symptoms are a direct related to the exposure that you have there and their implications. When I said there are neurological and physiological, they are literally brain pattern changes that occur with particularly extremely hypersensitive people who use cell phones. And it disrupts the pattern of the brain itself. When you're in alpha, when you should be in beta. In other words, you're walking, but your brain is sleeping and vice versa. So there's real impact because of the suppression of the the blood-brain barrier. And as I just explained, there are a whole many other things going on once you do that. And I personally believe it's more chaotic. In other words, you can't really predict it, making it more difficult to figure out what the problem is. But for sure, we know that these responses from these signals occurred up to 4G. And as you increase it, it's in uh, even more so. In, in fact, uh, 
Sophia, I don't know if I had mentioned this last time. If you're really electrohypersensitive, really seriously hypersensitive, they need to, you have neurological implications that need to be addressed first to get your brain patterns where it needs to be before your body can heal even. It's so, everything's so screwed up. You really have to find a, a way of recovering from that with a pattern of approach, which deals with the whole body pieces at a time. It seems like a good time to ask you something a viewer uh, asks in the comment section. Jen asks, is a Bluetooth headset dangerous as well? I am on my cell phone most of the time because I do sales. Any solutions? Okay. I have mentioned to you a cell phone is 1.6 watts. When you have a cell phone to your head, it's the power coming out is 1.6 watts. Bluetooth is dot three watts. Dot three watts is five times less power than a cell phone. So when you have your earbuds on, there is three watts that's between the cell phone and the ear. But oftentimes with these ear pieces, they also communicate back and forth with each other. So now you have dot three watts of power going through your frontal lobe. Uh, Sophia, dot one watts we have found. Uh, one-third the power level of Bluetooth can mutate the frontal lobe cell. So, like, if you can avoid it, you really should try to take precautionary measures and not use the earbuds that are Bluetooth-based because we know from research that there's a potential for some pretty serious negative effects. So, since that's going to be really upsetting to hear if you <laughs> use earbuds or I other... Know other wireless earphones. What are your thoughts on the brain's ability to heal? Given, uh, given if you've been using wireless earphones, it's upsetting to hear what harm you were posing to your brain. Do you have advice on what they can do to help the brain heal? You know, uh, we were talking about complications, body complications as a result of this. When you're exposed to the RF in the environment and the very close to your body, there's a lack of oxygen. You become hypoxic to some extent. And so with that hypoxia and combining that with hemoglobin, right, where you have more blood cells than you really need and the, the oxygen being transferred from, from your blood, blood cells to your body is less efficient. Yes, you have a combination of things that can really be more negative on your body than, and the way you repair this kind of stuff is trying to make sure you minimize the kinds of characteristics of your body that potentially lead to that hypoxia state. Like for example, find ways of reducing the hemoglobin, become more average in the hemoglobin. There are really literally things you can actually do to physically change the body to better respond to these kinds of things. But in addition to that, believe it or not, Sophia, good balanced food intake, um, care for the kind of food you eat, the, the hydration of your body, the minimizing of exposures by taking certain actions to reduce those exposures. All of those things actually do help your body be more resilient and recover from these exposures. Yeah, and focus on sleep quality. Oh my goodness. And that I kept on trying to say, microchondrial repair. And the reason why I was saying, well, I was trying to say it, but I was thinking about something else was because that's when you repair at night. 
is those the little engines in your body don't recover if you sleeping patterns are not as effective as they can be. So you're right. You have to make sure, like for your bedroom, that it is really a sanctuary. You you know, we talked about this a little while ago, but you want all those electronics out of your room. Why? Because they influence the body. And by doing so, you improve your body's ability to recover at the same time you're helping resilience during the day. Okay. There's another question here. Any thoughts on directed energy from outside of the home? Oh, okay. Our environment is becoming much more complicated, as as you pointed out, Sophia. And what's most important is the environment you're within. You really do want to make sure, like, for example, you're not going to have a 55-gallon drum of gasoline spewing volatile organic compounds in your room because you can't stand the smell and it's a 2B carcinogenic. You're not going to do that. Well, why do you have a Wi-Fi right next to your uh, one foot away from you when you work on a computer? It's the identical carcinogenic. It's a 2B carcinogenic, a possible carcinogenic. And so you want to make sure that when you're in your environment, you reduce those exposures by pushing them away from you or turning them off, or using them more minimally. So you control that environment. The distance being one of the more important ones. When you have a cell phone at your head, it's 1.6 watts. If you are two foot away, 80% of that danger is gone. By four two foot, feet? nine. Two feet away, 80% yeah, less. Yeah, literally two feet away. And by four foot, not like 98. So the trick is reduce your environment, and don't worry too much about your neighbors because there's a distance between you two. And that's not the eminent threat. It's that threat is within your own environment, typically. What about the cell towers that are popping up on rooftops? Like in New York City, there's a lot of density. Yeah. But they're, they're more than four feet away. They're like relatively far away, but they're more powerful. Yes, right. And in fact, that's a very good point. A, watt, a cell phone, as I said, is 1.6 watts. A cell tower is 40 watts. Uh, so there's much more power, 40 times more, almost 40 times more power coming out of that cell tower. And you want to try to find a place to live a far, at least a thousand foot away. If you can't, then there's a little bit more elevated exposures than you want. If, if it's in the front of the window, right a foot away from your window, I suggest always move because those are pretty dangerous 40 watt signals coming into that environment. Okay, so let's talk about some of the products on your website that can maybe help the sleep environment. So I noticed, I just saw new products since the last time I looked, but you have curtains. That can, oh. The curtains, the wallpaper, um, I don't remember what else I saw, but can you talk about some of the EMF protection products that your company has developed that can maybe make the sleep environment more right. um, healthy? So, so, Sophia, when we last spoke, I was actually working with various companies that were shielding experts for the military. And I knew that the higher rates, there was no really any real way to reduce those exposures under certain circumstances, but there was no shielding available to prevent those signals from coming through. And you heard me just mention about if it's one foot away from your bedroom, move. And I'm very serious about that. 
that prompted me to find technologies that will actually stop a 5G signal from going into your house. And so we actually have wallpaper that we developed that has our ultra armor. It's a product we designed. I was designing last time we spoke, actually. And that ultra armor stops up to 90 gigahertz. That signal cannot go through. So I designed it because I was concerned about the fact that there would be towers that were close by and there was really nothing an individual could do except move. Now they actually, I've given an option, at least one of many, I guess, where you can actually put wallpaper on your wall and it prevents the signal from coming in. And that's what the wallpaper is. And we have uh, shades and curtains that complement that. So you really can have a whole full wall of shielding so those emissions can't go through into your home. Yeah, I'm really, I'm telling you, Sophia, I, I'm excited about that because I didn't know what else you'd be able to do. And in some cases, some people don't have much choice. And I wanted to try to provide that choice. That's why we developed the wallpaper along with the ultra armor technology itself. So they block out 5G. Do they also block out 5G and under the 4G? Yeah, yeah. 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 it's all that 5G. stuff. But it goes even much further. And so we've been able to go from roughly one gigahertz to 90 gigahertz. And we have a laboratory testing, independent laboratory testing that proves that, in fact, our claim is its signal won't go through and it's 99.9% being filtered out. Okay, so what about, because in New York City, most people live in apartment buildings. So you can't necessarily control exposures from below your apartment. Right. So if I had a bedroom with the curtains and the wallpaper, so all the walls are blocking out uh, man-made EMS, what about if there's like some 5G router underneath that room? Will the wallpaper and curtains magnify the EMFs from the floor below? When the answer is no, under the right circumstances. What you're thinking is that you're building a Faraday cage and that anything that comes into the environment won't get up. That's a problem. And we don't recommend that at all because that's a danger. However, if you build out a wall, you you have RF sources within the building that come up through your uh, roof or the ceiling or or the floor. And those are typically 2.3 gigahertz and it's at least 10 foot or more away. So those are, the question about the danger is less because of the distance. And uh, for uh, New York City, for example, where you have a cell tower right outside your door, a window, which is true because I, I came from New York. So that you can put on the wall facing that transmitter, the wallpaper, and it does reduce it and make it safe. Without building a Faraday cage. Yeah, that's been my concern about EMF protection products is that there have been, there are nuances, it seems, to understanding how to use them safely. Right. Sometimes it can make things worse. Oh, yeah. So what took me a long time to understand is that EMFs can bounce around. So, for example, in one of my bedrooms, I used shielding paint two of the walls, but then one wall is like floor to ceiling window. Okay. And 
I heard from someone that measured my home that the EMFs from outside were coming into the room, bouncing off of the walls and just creating more chaos. Yeah, that is a characteristic an RF signal. It will bounce around. But when I talk about the shielding that you want to create, it's only against one wall for the very reasons you said. You want to minimize that bouncing around. And in your case, by the way, there may be some, but it's not maximized because the efficacy of the, the, the paints that are used are less than other ways of shielding. So there is some, but not as bad as it could be. But in general, you really should never really do a full room ever when you do one wall and then next to it adjacent wall, there is a beginning of the abilities for the signals to bounce. So like, that's why you only do the wall that's facing the source. You don't do it otherwise. So with the wallpaper, you wouldn't want to wallpaper all the walls no. in the room. Just no. one. Just the one, one. That's, that could block the incoming right. radiation. And Sophia, with 5G, and we haven't talked about this, but when you get the highest speeds, they're very concentrated signals. They actually target you. If you have a device, it's targeting that device where you are. It's not going into the other room. It's literally finding your device where you are. And so by actually having a barrier there, you don't have that intense focus to you. And that's why it works we stop that signal from passing through. So if you have a room and one wall has the wallpaper and your windows have the, the curtain that blocks out radiation, should you not use wireless technology in that space? In general, Sophia, you shouldn't be using wireless technology in that space. If, it, uh, In other words, you should be using wired connections for your devices when you can. You should, with a cell phone, for example, that you're somewhat forced to use a signal. But remember, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are also transmitting out of that device. You should turn those off and just have the cell and you reduce the number of transmissions within the room. You don't eliminate it, but you reduce it. And reduction is good. It's better than more. You want less. I was wondering something I didn't articulate, but it's, does, uh, it, it goes to the concept of the Faraday cage. Does the wallpaper and the curtain magni magnify or intensify the wireless technology? No. Okay. Not, not at all. It is a, inert in that sense. It becomes um, a path for energy, and it's not amplifying any energy whatsoever. It's absorbing the energy and converting it to heat, believe it or not. So it's really doing physics stuff with that signal, not making it worse, but actually eliminating it, making it better. Okay, so it's not necessarily blocking energy, but it's absorbing. It actually absorbs it. I mean, we call it a shield, right? But what it rally, what it's really doing, look, physics is simple. For every action, there's an opposite equal reaction. So where is the energy going when you stop it? Well, we're absorbing it. That's literally what we're doing. We're stopping the signal from passing through, and it's being absorbed and conducted within the materials. And what's the material that absorbs the energy? That's the stuff I developed uh, over the last few years. Ultra-AMA is a technology that hasn't existed 
it's a there's a lot of technologies we have integrated into it to to provide that function for shielding and i'm just excited about it because it really doesn't exist anywhere else in the marketplace okay so i know i'm just i want to make sure i understand so if this is the wallpaper the wall with the wallpaper it's and like my wi-fi router is here the energy isn't like hitting here and bouncing off it's no. being absorbed so right. if there's wi-fi from this side it stops it, it as well okay yeah. And that's different than the shielding paint, correct? Oh, no question. Yeah. The shielding you, paint blocks. You were talking about reflection and a reflection concern, which is typical for that kind of shielding technology. Okay. So I've often wondered, should we be sleeping? So you also have like hats or caps. <laughs> like, yeah. is that made with the under armor technology actually it's not like this cap we have here and like the cap we have here they are a conductive path as well but we consider these for emissions 20 gigahertz or below if we see in the marketplace more and more of the small cell sites being available we can literally change out the technology we have inside to the more robust ultra armor technology so, and, Why wouldn't and by, you just use the ultra armor technology? Very, very expensive. Oh. Uh, very expensive. And by the way, if you're electric hypersensitive, uh, we, we talked to physiological and that kind of stuff. Well, we're actually preventing the ambient within the room to penetrate the skull. And for electric hypersensitive particularly, that means a lot to them. They actually feel more calm as a result of that diversion of the energy that's not penetrating their head anymore. And so that was the purpose of this, was to try to minimize those exposures to areas that are very sensitive to the human around the head. Uh, which, by the way, as you may remember, the, the frontal lobe is probably the most sensitive because of the soft tissue nature of the frontal lobe. So does the cap absorb energy too, or does it yep. block? No, absorb. it actually absorbs it, right. It's literally converting it to heat, but it's so minuscule, you can't even measure it. So we're creating a strong conductive path for the energy that's in that environment. In these cases, for the ambient and, and the environment. I mean, I feel like I should wear the hat all the time and I want my children to wear it all the time. Any reason not to? Like anything to no. be aware of? No, it turns out that like we work with a lot of people who are electric hypersensitive and they won't take it off their head. They just won't take it off and they're not going to get hurt from it, but they can feel the physical calmness as a result of when they put these devices. And that's what the intention is. The, we haven't spoke about this, but when you're in the ambient in your room 30 years ago, you couldn't even measure the power level of RF in that space. Today, because of from the bottom, from up, from the walls, everywhere. It's like, I'll give you an example. In a classroom where there's a classroom, everyone's using Wi-Fi and they're on their tablets and so on. A cell phone's 1.6 watts. That power energy level is five watts or a third of the power level. So 10 years ago, that didn't exist. So that power level, even though it's small, is something that hasn't existed in the past. And some of us feel it. I don't, maybe you do, but I know some people, they won't take it off their head because they can truly feel the difference. Okay, so 
There's nothing I should consider because after years of trying to understand EMF sources in my home and how to mitigate risks and trying different EMF protection products or grounding products, it was frustrating and disappointing to learn that how to use them safely and how oh, to yeah. re really benefit yeah. from them was actually very complicated. Is it there is. anything I should know about any of your products like that, the cap? the curtains, the wallpaper, because I want my children, can we sleep in the cap? Can my children sleep in it? Uh, uh, Sophia, I have always been concerned about sleeping. You may remember that from the last time we spoke. And our eyes are like the windows to our brain, the least resistive path to the brain. And so it always bothered me that there's an increase in ambient in our room because there's we know for sure disruption as a result of that. And one probable, high probable source is through the eyes. So I created a mask, literally a mask, which is shielded inside and has shielding on the sides of it. So it prevents the ambient in the room from passing through and it's preventing it through going through the eyes. One of the things we found uh, is that electric hypersensitive tend to have higher elevations of temperature in the eye sockets. I, we don't, I don't know why, but we know it's for, you know, we look at thermal uh, footprint and we've found that electric hypersensitive tend to get hotter. They use this mask and it's, it becomes more normal. So we know there's a sensitivity going on as a result of that. And a simple mask that lots and lots of people do already use. I just put some shielding inside and it, it, people won't put it, they won't go to sleep without it as a result, particularly if they're electric hypersensitive. What is the fabric made of for the mask? Uh, I think it's a cotton. So. Um, there's a question from a viewer about shungite. I know oh. it's reputed to absorb EMFs. Do you have comments on shungite? I actually don't like talking about other technologies. What I do suggest, as you may remember, is if a claim is being made about a product, there should be an independent laboratory study that sort of substantiates that claim. There may be some with Sundrite. Uh, there may be some with the buttons. There may be, there's a lot of technology out there that's, that claim to help uh, the human with these exposures. And I often simply say and look for substantiated, substantiation from a third party about the claim. As simple as that. Some of these things are carbon-based. Carbon is a natural attraction to RF and there there is some benefits in some parts of the of the building but if you have some of these little carbon based stuff that is on one half of the room and you're on the other half it's unlikely that they will actually be providing any protection whatsoever for you because you're not close enough to it and that's attracting it and you're not even near it Okay. Yeah. Shungite has been described as being similar to carbon in its ability to filter right. like yeah. water. Right. Exactly. And, and I, I know that. What are your thoughts on dirty electricity from our wired technology? I hate the word dirty because I'm an engineer that talks about it from an engineering perspective. So there's no such thing. Dirty is an implication that everything's mixing together. But every one of those things mixing together has a source. I, I explained the AC, alternating current, as the extremely low frequency emissions. The RF is another emissions. And there are other potential sources for emissions that 
in some are described as dirty electricity. Every piece of that has a source. Uh, so the point generally being made with that is that it's getting really pretty dirty out there. And that's true, right? Because there's more and more transmission devices that are generating the, the, those sources that are now melding into our environment. So do you think that the filters work? The dirty no. Uh, uh, again, there are claims being made by a lot of people about that, that they have no third-party substantiation for, and maybe there are some that do. That's why there are so many products on the market, you really do need to take it in individually. I know there are some that talk about performance, but Sophia, they only take the ELF out of the room. They don't take the RF. They're silent about what they actually do. They may be very good at one, but not doing the other. I'm not sure removing one potential source benefits you if you don't remove both. Uh, and that's what you got to be careful about. Yeah. I When I first used them, I felt much better, but my room was very high with um, yeah, the yeah. quote-unquote dirty electricity. Yeah. It's like... I don't know if we talked about this the last time. You know, you, you think of grounding. Grounding is a good thing, actually, right? But the human body is an electro, it's an electronic-based element in the environment. And, and we are our natural capacitor. We absorb naturally, right? And so when you go on a ground, that actually is into the grounding network within the home or the business you're in, you are being grounded where there's another path being taken out of the body on that energy. And to some extent, that's a good thing, right? Because you are capacitor by nature. But if it's to excess, it may be too much of a loss of the energy within the body. And so you got to be careful with those kinds of things that you're not doing excessively. If you do a floating ground, you're actually better off where you don't plug it into the wall, you just use it as a base. It actually provides the same benefit, but it's likely not going to do excess. And also, by the way, if you're on a, a grounding plane and you're using a cell phone, the cell phone potential danger hasn't changed. So some people think that if I'm on this grounding pad, I must be safe. That's not true. It's only a grounding path for the electronics that are in the ambient and you're draining that but your cells are still being hit by a pretty strong signal. So with all these devices, you got to be careful. Um, I know this is in your area of specialty, but given your expertise, I just want to ask, do like with salt baths, like you, you talked about our bodies absorbing energy, would salt baths be able to help your body release some of that? I actually don't know. I'd have to think about it. Another question I was dying to ask you, Ferret beads, I've read they can help, like, uh, I have a, I have air tubes um, right now, but for any, like, electrical cord, reportedly, if you put ferret beads on the cord, it can minimize the radiation that... Yeah, can... those kinds of technologies have been around for many years, and there is a way to reduce, at the very point they're on the wire the potential exposure. But as it goes through the wire, the benefit is less. It starts creating more 
electromagnetic radiation. And if it's a very short wire, that's a good thing. If it's a really long wire, it's not so good for those reasons. So do the ferret beads help if you clip it close to- They, they do if it's a short cable. If it's, if, a it's short a long, if it's a long cable, by the time the energy gets to the other end, there is uh, the growth of that electromagnetic radiation that becomes a more concern the longer the, it is. You were talking about the acoustical tubes you use. There's a real reason those are most effective because they take that electrical energy and it's converted into a speaker, literally a tiny little speaker. And that audio, that acoustical connection is a tube to your ear. And there are no electronics going to the head. So you've eliminated completely the potential for the technology to influence because of uh, electromagnetic radiation that's coming off the element. There is none. It's acoustical link. So they're the best. What you're using is the best. Okay, so the ferret beats do not help. If, they help. if it's a long cord. If it's a long cord, it does not help. If and does it make cord, it worse? No, it, it allows it to go to the where it was right from the beginning without the, the bead. Yeah. Again, the shorter it is, the more likely it's a good benefit. The longer it is, the less likely it's a benefit. So let's go back to earphones. So I was shocked to realize that wire, not all wired earphones protect, protect my brain as much as I thought from the radiation. And right. I've read that some wired earphones can increase the concentration of radiation into my brain. So I don't think, I think a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, actually, I, I think you're right. But there is a constant power level essentially going up the wire. The concentration, so there's that source in the wire itself that's emitting from the wire. But the other source is at the ear itself going into the channel of the ear. It's a concentrated electrical magnetic power level that's going directly into the ear which is uninhibited until it hits the eardrum. And so I believe that's probably true, that it is a bit more dangerous because you're not only getting exposed to the wire emissions that, that you'd normally have, but it's really being channeled into the ear, which is, by the way, I talked about the windows being the eyes to the brain. The other one is the channels to the ear. So I probably agree with that. So the safest earphones to use are air tube earphones. Yep. yep. Would you explain what that is? If you have a cell phone and you want to listen to music, you plug in this, what looks like a normal set of earphones into the cell phone and halfway up the wire, the energy that was being transmitted by your cell phone is converted to a speaker that's in a little can. And that speaker now is generating tones. It's the stuff we hear with our ear, but it's occurring much sooner than it gets to your ear. It's halfway up the wire. And then from that speaker, it's a tube literally that's going directly to your ear. And at the very end of that tube is a little device that it's inside your ear and that's the conduit of the music but it's acoustical there is no electrical composition in it whatsoever and that's why it makes it so safe and uh and defender shield has air tube oh yeah earphones. when i posted about the wired earphones and the radiation and the air tube earphones were the best a lot of people were asking for a recommendation and 
I hadn't sampled enough to really to have one, but a few comments said that they loved Defender Shield Air Tube earphones. And just to be clear, I don't. I'm not an affiliate partner. I don't. No. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time. I actually have a child's headset that's acoustical as well. I was at a conference and a mother had a, a child that was autistic, and they didn't like stuff in the ear. So we went ahead and developed a headset where it's acoustical. There are no electrical, electromagnetic signals coming out of anywhere. And children could listen to that music with over-the-head ear. And so since we last spoke, I've introduced that as well as adult headsets now, where depending on the kind of style you want to use, we try to make available the kind of technologies that you'd like and prefer. So is the technology for the child's headset different than the adult headset? No, virtually the same thing. The, the problem we had is because it's a, an acoustical chamber, they have to be very, very precise for you to be able to reproduce the music without any resistance in the path to the ear. Not an easy engineering task. So, But we've done it and we try to have the best quality sound you can and not have any danger. So another product I was very interested in uh, comes from the fact that my daughter, who's 14, so she's like emerging as a young adult, becoming more independent, walking around. She now carries a cell phone like in a pocket on her body. She knows to always have it on airplane mode. But I therefore was very interested in these. Uh, they're kind of like purses for the cell yeah. phone. So. Yeah. Anything I should know about that? Because one time I heard, there's so many different kinds of cases for a cell phone to, to protect a body from EMS. But somebody once said, I don't know if it's just redirecting the radiation. So it's like more concentrated as it comes out, like a opening from the case. So, Anything I should know about that? Yeah, it doesn't intensify it necessarily. One of the concerns you should have is what technology is actually being employed in these shielded devices. Like, for example, we're not just worried about absorbing it. We're also worried about the rate in which we absorb it. And the reason you worry about that is because if I absorb it too quickly, the transmitting source would say I have to send more power. And that's what you're talking about, more energy than because of the technology being used. So you're right. You really do need to make sure that, and I don't know how you do that, but I know I do. We make sure that the rate is not interfering with antenna performance, and some of these do. do. Now, given I said that, if it's a shield, even though it's increased it, it's not allowing the signal to get passed to the body, remember. So, like, this is an omnidirectional signal that's still going out, but still can't get through. So even though the power level may be higher, it's still being shielded by the device and its shielding capacity. Well, the woman who told me this years ago, and she wasn't telling me as a known fact, she was just wondering about this risk, but she was pregnant. And so she keep her phone oh. in her purse. So right. the direction of the radiation kind of moved with the purse, and plus it's near her pregnant belly. Well, it, it turns out, Omnidirectional. Omnidirectional means everywhere. It doesn't matter where it is in the pouch. It's coming out everywhere. And for pregnant women, it is very important 
to know exactly where your devices are. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, you remember when we last spoke, I talked about uh, San Francisco. They did a study and looked at pregnant women in the first trimester, and they were looking for elevated levels of RF in the environments, and they tracked that. At the end of the study, what they concluded based on the evidence they developed was you were three times more likely to have miscarriage in the first trimester if the power levels were exceeding these levels. So it is a really big deal when you're pregnant to stay away from these devices. And I don't even know if I like it in their pocketbook because they put the pocketbook right next to them. They got to really know, be aware that there is an influence, particularly with heavy uh, exposures. Would you explain to me what a transmitter does? Remember I talked about my finger? This is literally inside a cell phone. There is a little thing sticking out of the circuit breaker, a circuit board, that is the area in which stuff is being sent. That is the transmitter of a cell phone. In a cell phone, there is the transmitter for Wi-Fi. There's a transmitter for Bluetooth. There's a transmitter for cell tower. All three are separate antennas, tiny little bars, the little entities that exist on a circuit board. And that's what's sending out the power, and it's what's receiving the power, typically, from the cell tower itself. That's how it's communicated. There's a transmission going on. Um, are you aware of cell phones having more transmitters, more than for Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and cellular? Yeah, actually, there's often a, third, a fourth for background stuff going on. So, um, Is that a health concern? Like, well, it, it, it is, but less. The, the background applications do periodic stuff, and, but a cell phone is pinging every second, trying to find out where it is all the time. So even though it's off, it's still working. It's still trying to figure out what's going on. So if my phone is on airplane mode, cellular, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth are disabled. Is that background transmitter yes. off too? No. No, that's yeah. still on. Yeah. So yeah. you really don't want your cell phone I, on your nightstand? I do not stand. want a cell phone, no. You do not. But your, the pouches that, you, that Defender Shield sells, that protects the body. Yeah, it, it prevents it. the signal from going inside. In fact, because we actually now have purses that you can put your cell phone in and it prevents the signal from coming through. And it looks cute too. <laughs> but Will you be coming out with more you, colors? You do, you do want the protection if you can. Yeah. And if you're not around your body, you really do want to put it in the other room when you can. Like when I go home at night, I put it in at the doorway and it's not near my living area. I let that physical distance reduce the exposures within my own home. And of course I have everything wired uh, as much as I can. Okay. <laughs> there is a question. I hesitate to ask it, but I know it's, you know, there are news reports on some buildings being targeted with radiation. Oh. And, you know, I think let's not even bother addressing that because it's not really. Actually, actually if you don't mind, I will. Because, okay. Because I actually love to talk about this. For okay. over 40 years, RF signals have been used in warfare. And what they do is, it's not quite the same as what we're talking about today. They use parabolas, a thing that focuses that energy towards exactly where they want to go. And they know that if they put 10 watts of power towards that person, they're going to get a headache. 
that's been part of war for years. The, the, uh, the um, Havana syndrome is one example of technology that's been used for years and years and years. And there is a well-known understanding of what the implication could be for the body based on the power level and the frequency rate. So it is legitimate. And is it influencing the way you're thinking, uh, Sophia? No, probably not. But will it give you a headache? Probably so. Okay. I know we're over our time, but it's just so amazing to talk to you. Okay. I'll just ask, there's a viewer who has two questions. I'll let you answer. One, I recently found out they have erected a 5G tower very close to my apartment. What should I do to protect myself? And should I consider leaving? I should mention that it's been up the past six months and I haven't been feeling too well. I'm quite sensitive to EMS. It's probably not a small cell site because small cell sites where they're really using the very high speeds. It's probably more like the 4G and below. And if she's feeling it and really believes she's feeling it, it will get worse in time. And so, I mean, I hate to suggest it, but if you're already feeling it and you find it stabilitating, it only gets worse in time. So you're sort of better off trying to find another place to go. Or if you can, get at the farther side of the uh, your apartment as you can from the source, as far away as you can. And it is clear that's probably a better thing for you to do than stay close to it. You want to fall this distance you can. And if moving isn't an option, what can she do to improve her home? Again, it's simple. If she, if she has a cell tower right outside a bedroom and she has a living room uh, that's far away, change the living room to where the bedroom is and, and vice versa. I mean, literally try to put as much distance as she can. And hopefully that's enough distance for her, for her safety and how she's feeling. And how about the curtains that shield? Oh, of course, the devices we have will help. I'm just not suggesting that she has to spend that kind of money for that safety. She may find that little bit of distance has a big, I mean, it exponentially drops off in power levels. It's like it, there's a logarithmic relationship up to your head. It's it's um, the worst. Four feet, it's 90%, it's gone. It's the distance that's the benefit for you. So find a way of getting farther from that. And that helps you get the least amount of exposure at, in your environment. Do you have time for a couple more questions? I do. <laughs> the same woman asks, thoughts on Organite and houseplants to help? I've never heard of Organite. It's another stone that's uh, okay. suggested. And again, you really got to look at the claims and independent third-party study that shows its efficacy. That's all I can say. How about houseplants? There are reports online that plants help. No, they don't. Okay. They absorb it, but they don't really affect it. It's not changing the ambient. And I assume on the Defender Shield website, there are the third-party reports that you've been oh, yeah. recommending. Uh, yeah. Sophia, you can't trust me. Right. I mean, I, I can be a con artist. And actually, when I have this testing done, I often know more than the testing than they do, because I did that for a living. But you really want to know and be comfortable with what you see as being factual, because we're in a space that a lot isn't factual. In fact, they don't understand physics. 
there's a viewer that asks, are there any doctors that can help people with EMF hypersensitivity? I know you maybe aren't comfortable recommending a person, but what should someone look for? So it is a science of itself. And there are not many physicians that I'm aware of that really have a full understanding. I'll, I'll suggest one I, I do know, and I do know that they are able to take those who are suffering and help them get to resilience. And that's Dr. EMF, believe it or not, D-O-C-T-E-R, not D-R, D-O-C-T-E-R. And he's taken people who come in wheelchairs into his office and they've left and they're walking and resilient and living a normal life. And that's the part where I said, if, if you feel it, it's only going to get worse. And when it gets worse, it gets harder to fix. Okay. My last question is, you know, in my book, A to Z of Detoxing, I have a chapter called Manipulative Business Strategies. And I first learned about these very effective, clever strategies Big Tobacco created yep. when the science was growing in showing that smoking and secondhand smoke caused adverse health effects. And then I learned that like the chemical flame retardant industry implemented them, the lead industry, asbestos. And Dr. Deborah Davis explains in her book, forget the name of her book, um, but she talks about how the telecom industry has used them too. And I was just wondering what you would say to listeners and viewers about why it's so confusing to understand the health risks from the radiation from our technologies, because there's this assumption that, at least in America, that we're protected. I'd love to answer that question. When I was 12, which is quite a number of years ago, I smoked cigarettes out of my father's drawer. I'd steal it and I'd smoke because I wanted to be a big man. At that time, research knew there was a direct correlation between smoking and cancer of the lung. Yet all of us didn't know it for so many years, 40 years or so. It took the courts to establish the link, not the science. It took the courts to do that. Trans fats. There's been an argument for all these years that eggs are killing us with the cholesterol of eggs. Yet we had trans fats that we were using that was making our French fries nice and crisp. There was a tiny, a uh, little, little guy, uh, biochemist 30 years ago, over 30 years ago that said, it's not the eggs, it's, 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 it's the trans fats. And so it took up to what, last year or the year before that trans fats were banned because they were found to have a negative effect on the human body. But it took years like it did with smoking. It takes years. And uh, Sophia, if you think about it, the stuff you and I are talking to right now has really only been around us like 10 years or so, 15 years. Uh, when I first had a cell phone, I had no one to call. My friends couldn't afford one or vice versa. I don't remember. Right. And if I made a phone call, it would be for a few minutes because I couldn't afford the minutes that are being charged. Fast forward to today, your, your eight-year-old is getting a phone given to them and they use it their whole life. So it's only recently that it's become so close to us. And it's always true that we introduce a lot of technologies and a lot of things in our environment that really ultimately are not good for us. It just so happens science is ringing the bell right now, and 
and they're saying over these 15 years, we now are better understanding the problem, but it hasn't been in the courts. Now, given I said that, the FCC was brought to court recently that they lost. And it was about the standards I told you about with the 30 years ago and the difference between the performance with a six foot male and the other 97% of the population. And they lost in court. They violated the law and not looked at the thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of research substantiating their claim. But it's starting. It's starting to get into the courts. FCC is going back and required to look at the standards. But this is like a typical iteration of what happens with stuff we introduce in our environments. And it takes time to recover it. In the meantime, a precautionary measure makes some sense. It's confusing. It's conflicting. There's data coming from both sides. And you can't tell what you're hearing. So just be conservative a little bit. Be conscientious about what your environment is and control that which you have. Thank you very much for your time. I am going to be shopping on the Defender Shields website, and your company has graciously provided a discount code. So watch the uh, comments section for that code. And again, I'm not an affiliate partner. I don't make any money from promoting Defender Shield, but um, this is such a complicated topic that, yeah. Daniel, it's very helpful for you, especially with your background in the telecom industry and as an engineer, to explain it to us. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me again. I always enjoy chats with you because you understand what the problem is and the difficulty in the environment that we're creating. And um, I always enjoy the conversation with you. So thanks for inviting me again. My pleasure. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.